But Vince, as we are getting started here, um, we're continuing our conversation on community this week. And so I would love for you to just kick us off here on what specifically we're going to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. So last week, um, if you were with us, or I'll, I'll uh, mention what we were talking about if you weren't, um, I was encouraging us uh, as individuals, but also as like a church at large, to uh, consider embracing a patchwork uh, understanding of how we, how we each as individuals experience community in a healthy way. And a patchwork meaning like we're drawing from this community and from this community, and some of those communities might be more primary for us, like we know most of our friends through that, and then other communities might be secondary, where we're not necessarily all of our friends come from that circle or group, uh, but, uh, but it still nonetheless serves a really important purpose. Uh, and so we were talking about, you know, like this could be church, for example, like this. We are primary community for many. We are secondary community for many. And that's awesome. We love that. Uh, this could be people from your gym or people you play basketball with or D&D with or any other group activity, right? Like those end up being communities for us. And patchworking those together is really important. Um, yeah, I, 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 the way that we were kind of, uh, the two images we were talking about of like what, how do we know we have it, mm-hmm. were uh, the people who will bring you a casserole or the like um, if you're in need, uh, or maybe will move your, uh, move your boxes okay, you're when, you're, when you're moving, yes, <laughs> uh, or the people who are in the know on the big decisions of your life. Like you don't have to make uh, the, the, the biggest things, like you are, you're considering a change in where you're going to live or who you're going to live with or what you're going to uh, do to make it in our market-driven economy in America, as we'll talk about a little bit more today, all those big decisions. Do, you, do, do Does it feel like you have to make those alone, or does it feel like there's people who are in the know uh, who can maybe be trusted advisors or, or, or just like bounce things off with you? I remember I shared how relieved that I, I was personally when I first met somebody who was like 30 years my senior, such a mentor to me, who uh, said to me sort of in passing as if it was an obvious thing that his community was a patchwork. Because I think for a long time, I have, I have kind of felt like I've had to make a patchwork of community for myself, uh, borrowing from this, being in lots of different circles at once, uh, never really feeling like I fit in totally, experiencing frankly, like being abandoned or being betrayed by folks who used to be mentors or folks who used to be peers to me. Um, I always felt like I was kind of doing it wrong or like the people who are, who are you most look up to, they have found their group. They found their, their tribe, right? And, they, and, and those people are with them to the end. And I must, be, I'm, I must be bad in some way because I don't have that. And it was such a relief to hear somebody say to me like, oh my gosh, no, like it's been a patchwork for me my entire life. And uh, it, that just, it brought relief to me to hear that um, from somebody who I looked up to, who I wanted to be like when I grew up. Yeah, um, I always, yeah. I refer to it as the sitcom effect. The sitcom effect? Because you see something like friends and expect that that's what community looks like. <laughs> yes, like exactly. You, you have to have this close-knit group that you do absolutely everything with right. and that you, I don't know, experience life with like that. But for most of us, I think. It's, it's not it's, that way. It's not. Yeah. We have a mixture of primary and secondary and people who know certain things that are going on in our lives and our trusted mm-hmm. advisors or mentors in that area and the people who know other things too. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and, and importantly, allowing our church to be able to tell both kinds of stories yes, in terms yeah. of what it means to connect here. So, so that felt really important. And, uh, and uh, my thought was like, how do we build on that? What do, where do we go next? It struck me after the fact that 
um, Jesus is experience of community is a patchwork. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I don't think I said this explicitly last week, but like, so Jesus had a primary community, evidently, of 12 really close friends, uh, which itself was made up of people who were from like various different secondary mm -hmm. communities. Some of the interesting things that of like historical background uh, when you read the Gospels is like the different sects within um, Jewish Roman culture at the time that the the disciples uh, uh, or Jesus' closest friends uh, were a part of. So they were all part of different secondary communities. And then they had this primary community. Yeah. And then beyond that, it seems like Jesus himself had like tons of secondary communities. Like there's like these little pictures of like, going to the house of uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and they know him already. Like, he stayed there before, I guess. So he has all of these, like, different communities uh, that, uh, that, that, that make up what an experience of healthy community was for Jesus himself. Uh, that stood out to me. Yeah. I love that that builds on what we were talking about last week. Um, so let's talk a little bit about framework for today that we're yeah. going to work through. Yeah. So I, th I, I, I thinking that like, okay, we're embracing that. We want that. We're all trying to figure out how do we patchwork it together. That's what I want all to be in all of our minds as we're, as we're talking about this. What I want to dig into is what are the obstacles to that happening given that we live in modern America? There are unique obstacles uh, because of the culture that we live in. There is no culture that doesn't come with obstacles. Like it's not, I don't want to yeah. like pretend that like we could go and move somewhere else and there'd be no problems. There always will be problems. That's just what it means to be alive and be a person who is in culture. None of us are not. Um, but there are, it's worth, I think, unpacking and, and digging into those unique obstacles when we live in America. So the helpful way of navigating this today um, that we're going to use is this statement of what can be missing from community when... Yes. Dot, yes. Dot, dot. yes. <laughs> yeah. Fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, and so maybe uh, let's get started with the first one. So what can be missing from community when? My first one is it's organized around the economy, the market, money, all of those things. What can be missing when it's organized around those things? So like in modern America, in Western Europe, increasingly all over the world, no matter where you grew up or have spent time, the market is the organizing principle. Everything kind of comes around to the idea that we, like, Eden, uh, my, my, my new daughter, was born last month, and welcome to the world, you get a hospital bill, right? You have to pay for becoming alive in America. Uh, it's a, 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 we ask like little kids, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which is not necessarily a bad question, but it just kind of points to this idea that like everything is kind of organized around how do you contribute to the market? How do you, um, you know, that we're not necessarily asking like, you know, what maybe we are more so, and maybe I'm hoping to do this as a parent, like what values do you want to live uh, by? Or, you know, what kind of person do you want to be? But just the, the default is what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and that's been the case. And I mean, I just think about the fact that we ask like 18 year olds to select where they will live and go to college and select a major that determines mm -hmm. where they will be in the market. You know, what role will they play? Um, all of that just kind of uh, solidifies this fact that like the market is our organizing principle. That's, yeah. that's what we organize life around. Yeah, I saw this video recently um, on TikTok, which is a funny thing. I used to think that that was just not a millennial thing, but there's actually so much content that relates. <laughs> no um, shame, no so shame. So no shame, but on TikTok I saw this video, um, it's actually a series of videos where a woman interviews people off the street and just says like, what do you do for a living? Like that's the first, yep. which even that question of yep. what do you do for a living? Um, how much money do you make? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. are you happy? Yep. Like, do you like what you do? And that was a organized. series of questions. Um, and it's almost this like, this 
um, subconscious ranking system of yeah. hearing people's titles and what their salary is and ranking them based off of that, but that that becomes the organizing principle yep. of how we view people's lives and how we be, view community as well. Totally. I think hierarchies and, you know, and where are am I in the pecking order trying to figure that out? Where's this person in the pecking order? Totally. I mean, if we talk about power and privilege and race and all of those things that play into the way the market organizes everything... Um, I think the way that this, act, like, um, I mean, so th we could probably talk about this for a long time, yeah. but maybe the way that in, in particular this affects community and what it means when I'm trying to make sure that I have a healthy experience of community is like, uh, we, so, uh, for most of history, what, uh, the organizing principle was for a group of people or, a, or, a, a place in the world was a set of shared sacred practices or a set of shared beliefs. Mm. And that's not the case for us in America. And that's like historically extremely different, like very different has, you know, like most of human history has not been this way. We're the odd ones. And it, it's hard to feel like we're the odd ones because we're swimming in it. Right. So it, it doesn't feel odd to us. Um, and that just means things. Mm -hmm. um, again, I, I don't want to say that it's like, you know, there's another way to do things that would be perfect and uh, having, having everything uh, uh, organized around a shared set of beliefs can leave people out, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is the source of a lot of religious violence and anger over the, over the centuries, right? And, uh, and, but, but this doesn't necessarily free us from that, is what I mean, is the market um, is not... It's not like uh, neutral, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think the, the the lie is that like oh because we're not we're not organized around a shared set of beliefs we're organized around just transactions and the economy everything will be fine but it's actually like it, it everything is not fine like there's as, there's more injustice than ever there's more like stratification and people left out and situations left out than ever and so I don't think that everything is just fine living in the market this is why we need to talk about it uh, because people being left out majorly affects how we end up experiencing community, uh, whether we're the person leaving somebody else out or we are the one being left out. That, that, that hugely impacts things. So um, I, maybe to tie this into like uh, a simple way to put it, what I would say is the hardest part for experiencing a healthy community for an individual when life is organized around the market is that community is downstream from all the other things that you have to do to fit into the market. So like what you're gonna do for a living, where you're gonna live, and what stuff you're gonna buy. You figure those things out generally, and then you figure out community after the fact. Uh, once you've moved somewhere, once you have decided what you're gonna do for the rest of your life, then you try to figure out who you're gonna do it with. And that is precarious, I yeah. think. It, it's, it, it, it is, um, it is the way we do things, um, and it often can work, but it is precarious. It, it, it's, uh, it seems to me like community ends up um, uh, on a razor's edge as a result of that. Mm. So what are some things that are missing when our experience of community is organized around the market, around yeah. the economy? I think the main thing, because we're talking about how precarious it is, is resilience. This is what I want to argue is missing from community when we're so organized around the market. We are constantly having to react to any of the changes that happen upstream, any, uh, like our, our situation has changed uh, in terms of where we're going to live or our job has changed or something very specific about our job has changed, where our healthcare coverage changed or, you know, so all of this like, you know, legalese that makes up mm -hmm. how we participate in America. When one of those things changes, you know, our bottom line changes and our budget has changed and then, oh no, 
Does that mean we have to live somewhere else next year? Do we have to find a new apartment? Or does that mean that, uh, oh, like, well, maybe I have to find a part-time job? You know, like all of these questions that we end up asking, then what gets what, what, what is affected because it's downstream is our community, our experience of friends and circles, and maybe it would, might mean that you know, a major upheaval might happen to our community, like we have to move somewhere to an entirely new city or something like that. Or maybe it just means small changes that end up meaning we have less time. And so that really important group of people that we used to be able to spend time with every Tuesday, we just don't make it anymore. And then eventually we're just no longer as tight with those people. And all of those little things are downstream from these big things. So I just think we don't have a resilience to our experience of community when life is so dependent upon the market. Yeah, I think even that question of what do we do for a living, um, for me it's helpful to recenter this on community rather than vocation okay. and things mm -hmm. like that. So what, we, what I actually need to do to be living and living well is to lean into relationships that matter most, to pursue joy and finding ways to be well, finding things that make me feel fully like myself, like all of that is far more important. And so when we recenter that aspect of how can I actually take up practices that are helping me lean into a resilient community more, that makes the other the other things, it recenters what yeah. we're focusing on. Yeah, because it's important to note that these are like forces that are way bigger than us. We're not like bad people because our community is downstream from all of these other things. Like this is the water we swim in. This is the way things work in America. When you end up born into this culture, this is how things go. And so uh, really the question we need to ask is not how can we, how can we be better because we're so bad. The question is how can we pad our experiences with as much resilience as possible because America is not going to do it for us. Yeah. America is going to make things more precarious, more on a razor's edge when it comes to you experiencing the relationships and community that you need. So how do you pad your experience which is with as much uh, resilience as possible, I think, is, is, what, is what I want to drive at. Yeah. And I think it's important to this distinction that it's not a good way to do it or a bad way to mm -hmm. do it. It's how do I navigate the inevitable yes. in a way that feels healthy and yeah. life-giving and meaningful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So one, I, I mean, this is something I think about in terms of a faith community like ours, in terms of uh, we, we, we are trying to find a pocket of people that are centered around um, some sort of shared values, some sort of shared uh, magnetism toward the person and teachings of Jesus. I think about a, a phrase that you brought up last week mm -hmm. uh, from Brene Brown, this collective effervescence, the idea that um, uh, you've probably experienced it before, but it's when you find yourself caught up in the midst of something greater than you, a greater group of people than you, a greater purpose than you. You're like, oh my gosh, I am a small piece of this big thing, and that is like an effervescence that I can <laughs> feel in my body, in my spirit. Wow, what an experience. Um, I think... Uh, one way we can pad our experiences with resilience, our experience of community, is to commit to those bigger things that do this for us. Uh, I think committing to this church, whether, whether this church is primary community or secondary community for you, can help with that. Committing means just, you know, like not, not making it like a game time decision that you, you know, that you engage in it, but trying to really like, oh yeah, sometimes I'll be tired or sometimes I'll have, you know, things going on. And if, if, if I think that this can get me collective effervescence, I mean, that that, that's up for us to prove for you. I don't, I don't think you have to say that. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we are providing that for you, or if another community, a secondary community in your life is providing that for you, a group of friends, a group of, uh, a, like an, a club or an interest or something, some, some way that you're connected with a group of people, if it provides you that collective effervescence, commit to it. Make it a major priority in your life. Put it in front of other things. Make it the thing that you're not gonna cross off the list if um, you know push comes to shove or if things are competing on your calendar. 
yeah, validating how important community is um, allows us to lean into those relationships and prioritize yeah. social things and yeah. relational things. And um, it's a really practical thing too when you look at the way that your time is spent. Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, it, what do they say? Like you follow, you know, uh, what you're spending your time on to discover what your true priorities are. So mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. the um, I I think I it, it would. It's important to um, to say, you know, there, there's a degree of, especially in the Jesus tradition, of a drive toward, in some ways, living counterculturally. That is a part of what it means. And I do think I want to encourage us, if that feels like the right choice for us, to live as counterculturally as possible, as we're able. Um, and uh, and I think that that depends on our experiences. If you're somebody who experiences more societal privilege, uh, just because of where you are social location-wise, your race, your, your, you know, being a middle-class person rather than a working-class person, and all of those things play into this. If you have more, it's easier for you to just decide I'm going to live counterculturally. And so I want to mm-hmm. especially recommend it to you if, if you're somebody in that kind of boat. If not, I certainly don't want you to feel shame this morning because I think in a lot of ways, the, the less privilege we have in American society, the harder it is for us to live counterculturally. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just worth like talking about a couple of examples of that because it can be a good, it can be a good um, thing to lean into for some of us. One uh, story I can think of is I remember this was recently, even during the pandemic, sort of in this, you know, great resignation phase, right, that we're in as a culture, a friend of mine deciding, uh, and and we ended up having multiple phone calls over the course of like a month, as she really was considering this idea of like, my work is stealing from my ability to feel like I, I have healthy community. It's mm-hmm. it, because it, the community I'm in at work feels unhealthy, and it's it's taking time from the communities that do feel like they're pouring health into me. And so, but it's this stable job. It's this very secure job. And she made the really hard decision to just say like, having you know the community thing figured out is more important than having the stable, secure job. I, I think I can figure that out after the fact. Now. You know, there's a lot of factors that play into her making that choice that may not be the right choice for everybody. But I, I felt so proud of her. I was like, I was like, I, I felt like admiration that she would make that choice when that is so countercultural. Like, you figure out security, and like, if you've got something good, you just complain about your job with people. You don't, you know, like leave it, you know, because yeah. it's stealing. And she just like, this is a choice for my mental health, for my communal health. I'm gonna do this, and I, I just love that. I think that's really important. Yeah, it can have really big implications. Yep. Yep. But let's move to the next one here. So what is missing from community when? It is dictated by too many algorithms. All right, so algorithms. Boy, they're everywhere, right? Yeah, this is this is a new kind of thing in life, and sort of in the last 25 years since the internet has become everywhere. So much of our lives, maybe maybe we're not even like aware of this, but like let's just be honest about it. So much of our lives is dictated by algorithms, more than we think. Everybody, like uh, you know, algorithms determine the websites that we see when we search on Google. It determines what ads we see when we watch things. It, it most importantly, it determines um, the topics of uh, like for today. It determines like the topics and the people that we see on social media, mm-hmm. you know? The videos uh, that pop up yes, on TikTok. On t- oh, how about that? Uh, so, um, and again, what, the reason I want to bring this up is not to moralize anybody. I don't want to tell everybody that, like, here is the way to avoid algorithms because, man, I figured it out and you all suck. Like, I don't, I don't have that message because I don't know how to do it. But what I want to say is that our experience of community is more likely to be missing joy and gratitude mm-hmm. when it's dictated by too many algorithms. We are more likely to be missing gratitude and joy in our community. We think, because we think about this, like, 
algorithms, the way they work, it, like what makes them um, successful on the terms of algorithms is that they keep your attention. And what does, what keeps people's attention the best? There's literally research on this. It's two things, fear and outrage. Mm. <laughs> That's what keeps our attention the best. So even though in like, I think one thing to be honest is like we might actually experience a great deal of connection because of algorithms, connection that we wouldn't experience before. And that's a great thing. Like I think there are wonderful, wonderful things about the richly connected world that we have as a result of things like social media. But what happens is our experience is disproportionately mediated by fear and outrage. So you just think about like what happens to your psyche, what happens to a, a group of people when they don't have a well-balanced diet of what makes community happen. It's not like, oh, you know, there's some complaints, but there's also like triumphs and joys that mm -hmm. are shared. No, it's all complaining. It's all things that like, you know, stoke your worst suspicions. It's all things that make you most upset. There's no well-balanced diet. What that does to individual people and what that does to groups of people is not healthy, right? Like that's, that, that, that's I mean, in, to be in, entirely like, Serious, like, that's dangerous. We have seen that become dangerous in our world recently, right? So this is, the, uh, this is a, a really, really important thing that gratitude and joy are just going to get squeezed out if life is too, if our communities are too dictated by algorithms. Mm -hmm. So what do you think we can do if it feels like for us that joy and gratitude are missing and that we're stuck in that fear and outrage bubble yeah. or echo chamber, yep. however it's helpful to describe? Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I, again, I think that... Um, this is, the best way to think about this is, you know, we're, we're not here to be perfect, we're not here to, I think there are countercultural things that we can do, but uh, we cannot expect, like, us to just be, like, um, I don't know, like, I, I think living in this world is like, well, I'm just not going to be affected by those things, or, like, even telling yourself the narrative of, like, yeah, I'm not a social media person or something like that, like, I don't know if any of us can be that, like, mm -hmm. we participate in this culture, even if it's not me personally, we are a social media person, because it just, like, the tentacles are everywhere. And so, really, what we should just try to do is, I, I, I like that imagery of, like, padding our experience best we can. Mm -hmm. Padding our experiences of community with gratitude. We just need to be really intentional about it. And so, I think about, like, just regularly, a practice for my family is, we just call it, we just say, like, I think we need to be intentionally thankful for a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's that, it, we even have a name for it. Like, we just, can we do some intentional thankfulness? That's what we say. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, starts for, like, Coffee. It always starts with coffee for me. Uh, I'm thankful for coffee because <laughs> it's, it's like got to start with small things, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, but then it but then it grows. You know, we're thankful for the little smile that we got from Eden. She's starting to smile. That's cool. You know, we're thankful for the hilarious, you know, mispronounced word uh, from our three-year-old. You know, we're we're thankful for. Hey, I'm thankful for like. Uh, that I I get to end a lot of my nights watching basketball because it's been the NBA playoffs and that's super fun and I enjoy that you know like it it, it grows from there and then you, and um, intentional thankfulness I just think is it's it, it's a practice that we do a lot in this church so I think if this church is a part of your patchwork community I just think you know we want people to be thinking about gratitude because this matters to us like I, I just think gratitude is going to get squeezed out if we just go with the motions of American life. Yeah, gratitude lists for me and keeping gratitude lists, writing yeah. them down and everything yeah. has been really grounding, especially in really difficult seasons. Um, I think about Barbara Brown Taylor's question and practice that I brought oh, up before. We did this in the we did this like a couple years ago or something. Yeah, it was yeah. a little while back. Yeah. But the question that she offers is, "What's saving your life right now?" Yeah, that's good. Um, and so you collect a list of things. I actually have an ongoing note in my phone where when I see something that feels really meaningful and life giving, even if it's 
there was one time I was riding the bus and we passed this house that had super tall sunflowers. And so I put that on the list of what's nice. saving my life right now. And so it can be big things, but it can also be a collection of small things too. And I think that's helpful to navigate all of this is yeah. the ch choices and changes you make could be really big and profound. And it can just be a series of small things that feel like they're grounding and helpful. That's a really good practice. I really like that. Yeah, me too. Um, I'll offer one more just that it's sort of like a uh, less preventative measure and more like a what do you do in the moment? Um, when big news hits, make a phone call to a friend uh, before checking in on social media. Hmm. I just think you will likely still feel outrage or fear when that big news hits, but you will also feel warmth from a friend. And that's just really important because, again, outrage and fear is sometimes very appropriate. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there are lots of things to be outraged about. There are lots of things to legitimately be afraid of. Um, what is the problem is when things are out of whack and we don't have a well-balanced diet in our communities. So pad your experience with the warmth of a friend will make you more grateful while you're experiencing maybe some fear and some outrage. Yeah. yeah. That instead of social media can be really isolating. So instead of turning there to turn to something that feels more communal, yeah. it's just really helpful. Yeah. yeah. But let's go um, to this next one here. What can help us um, understand community a bit more? Like what feels missing? What's going on if? We are our community is curated or streamlined to remove messiness. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I think this is kind of another thing that flows out of what we've been talking about. There is a resistance to messiness in general in life. The market economy and algorithms, these things we're talking about, are all about removing mess. It's about the clean, curated version of life, right? You know, even transactions, no, no remainders, no time for extra, no time to fall behind, you know, put, you know, be camera ready, put your best foot forward, all of that stuff. And these preoccupations, I think, present problems to our efforts to patchwork a community together mm -hmm. for ourselves because, because healthy communities are just messy. They really are. Yeah. And I think this is important for us to just be eyes open about. Healthy communities are messy. Messiness is a feature and not a bug. <laughs> um, I think, you know, people trying, to, people trying to do their best and tripping over themselves, that's, that's a part of community, right? Mm -hmm. Like, romances starting, sometimes awkwardly, you know? <laughs> like, uh, romances ending, sometimes really painfully. All of that is a part of community. People with differences in personalities, people with differences in social locations and levels of privilege and power in society, people with differences in parenting styles, people with differences uh, like expectations in terms of comfort, stage of life, generation, all of that. You know, for, importantly for our community, differences in religious experiences and backgrounds. We are okay with that. We try, to, we try to say that out loud so people are not like, does everybody believe the same thing here and I'm the only one who's left out? Like, all of those things and all of those people bumping into each other and sometimes that not going super great mm -hmm. is messy, but it's a part of community. It's okay. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's if the real thing. It's the real thing, yeah. It's not the filtered or curated I, version. No, I mean, and so I struggle with perfectionism, so I think I innately try to fight this truth. I will, I will try to like convince myself, oh, no, it, there's no mess. Like, we're actually all on the same page. It's all good. Everything's fine. Everything's fine, right? Everything's fine, you know, mm -hmm. and which is 
that, that's my own coping mechanism. I think other people, maybe you, maybe you have the perfectionistic tendency or maybe you're more like, I don't know, maybe you're more fatalistic. And so you, you look around and you see the mess and you're just like, does nobody see this mess, man? I don't need this. The, everybody's a hypocrite. I, I'm just gonna go it alone, you know? I, I'm out of here. And, and that's, I think, the other kind of tendency there. But both of those are a resistance to mess. Yeah, I... Um, was listening to a podcast a while back and the person being interviewed was talking about how communities are most formed by the questions they're asking, not mm. the answers they arrive mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really profound to me to think about how we ask questions with one another communally is a lot more important in navigating the mess yep. than coming to a collective, everybody's on the exact same page type yep. of answer. Yep. Um, or I think back to the Anne Lamott quote that I brought up last week of don't compare your insides to everyone else's outsides yes. because yeah. your insides are super messy and <laughs> all over the place. And, and everybody else's outsides and are And everybody curated. else is curated yeah. and yeah. filtered and things like that. Um, so it's a lot of pressure when you feel like people are put together, they're bouncing back from some type of experience faster than you are, yeah. and you know your own inner mess. So instead of separating those out and compartmentalizing, embracing other people's mess is a really healthy thing yeah. to do. Yeah. It's a humanizing thing to I do. I think that's exactly right. Uh, so what I think, uh, what I want to say is what we, uh, what we miss out on when community is overly streamlined or overly curated is to remove the mess. We miss out on opportunities for growth. We miss out on humility. We miss out on transformation. We miss out on like becoming and overcoming things that we never could have previously imagined we could. Um, I remember a time when I was trying my best to include someone in one of my communities and I tripped over myself and just hurt them. Yeah. And I remember they called me out on it and we were stronger for it, not weaker. Yeah. Like, even though it can be really even, uncomfortable. Even though it was uncomfortable and it was scary, it was so good because we handled that. We, we trusted that we could handle it. Mm -hmm. The mess was not something that made us run for the hills. The mess was something that made us press in further. I remember a time when I was in a space with multiple other parents and our kids, all of whom I was, I was in a community with, and our differences in parenting styles, like, it felt like it felt like it was reverberating off the walls. It was so clear to me how different our styles were, and I could sense like I, I feel like I could sense it in the air, the silent judgments and passive aggression, in, including my own, mm -hmm. right? That was that was just that was there and hanging. And I wish that we could have like I wish that we could have turned the dial down on all our insecurities and talked about it, but we mm. we didn't. I mean, we couldn't get there. And this is that time I look back and I just think we were so afraid of mess. And I, I wonder what a healthier version of Vince and a healthier version of these friends of mine, like what we could have done. And, and maybe we could have talked about that and not stayed so stuck. Uh, or I just think about like on, on, on our church's uh, front, like I remember earlier in the, in the current school year that we're in during the standoff between Chicago Public Schools and Chicago Teachers Union, our church has people uh, on both sides of that standoff pressed and put in extremely difficult situations that feel outside of their control. And I felt the messiness of that. I felt it because I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the convener of this community. It's like, oh my gosh, and we have people and they're supposed to be enemies right now. And I felt like, ah, oh, there's a liminal space here. Mm -hmm. I think about, I think about Jesus' like most startling command, love your enemies. Yeah. Like that is, it's see, it's loving your enemies and seeing how that changes you. We don't ever get that opportunity if we run away from us. And, and that, that, felt, that felt big. Yeah. yeah. I think this ties into the movement from judgment to love that we've talked about. 
um, that when we actually embrace the lens of love, it also means embracing mess. Like you mm-hmm. can't separate out the two, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it allows enemies to become neighbors, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm really drawn to this instance in the Bible in Matthew uh, chapter 20, where Jesus is handling a request from two of the disciples, James and John, and, and their mother, uh, about asking for higher status within the community of Jesus's disciples. And the way that Jesus responds is so winning. It's, it, it's really one of the most beautiful passages about community in the New Testament. Because Jesus, both in, in the way that he, that he responds, both mitigates conflict and mitigates shame. He, he, he avoids both of those problems. Like, so, so the way that he responds to the, the request from uh, James and John and their mother, he says, oh, you, you don't know what you're asking. I, like, the, this tone that Jesus takes, like, oh, you, you don't know what you're asking. I, I, this is not for me to grant, Jesus says to them. And, and, uh, and he's, he doesn't, like, shame them. He's not like, oh, oh you want higher status, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, guys, did you hear what they asked? You know, and it's, he, 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 he's so gentle in his response mm-hmm. of just, like, I hear, I see what, you're, what, you're, what, you, what you want. I don't think you know what you're asking. But then, it's in, in, in Matthew 20, Jesus does address the rest of the, of, of the disciples because evidently probably, you know, it carried around. It's like any community, right? Like, did you hear what James and John <laughs> asked Jesus? Uh, can you believe this? And, and, and he speaks to them. It says they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus calls them together and says, hey, lording things over each other, that, that happens in our world we're not going to do that with each other. We're, gonna not, we're not going to run from mess. We're going to embrace the mess, and we're going to talk about this. And I just think that is so, that's, what we, that, that's the model we want to go for. That's what we want. Yeah, I think it's really important to name that Jesus doesn't use guilt or shame to heal and teach and um, help foster community. And so we can't be shaming, yeah. whether it's for ourselves or with others, when we're trying to shape community. Yeah that leaning into mess means letting go of shame. Um, Even the story here with James and John wanting to be elevated to some type of position and that language of being on um, Jesus's left and right, like that that position of honor almost. Um, For me, I think about the, the crucifixion and that Jesus wasn't the only one being crucified at that time, which in itself is mess. Mm -hmm. And in itself would carry a lot of, um, a lot of humiliation and shame. Um, and so who was on his right and left? It was people who were deemed criminals or rebels yeah. or yeah. Yeah. people that were um, seen as violent. Mm. And Jesus humanizes them in interactions that he has with them on yeah. the cross. Yeah. And so this request from James and John to be elevated to this position, who is actually on Jesus' right and left? Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. people that would have been um, rejected as the enemy and yeah. instead Jesus embraces them. Yeah. So what can we do if it feels like humility and growth are missing from our communities? I have a few suggestions here. So first, um, I want to suggest that we really try hard to notice when we are tempted to judge or gossip or assume or do something passive-aggressive or retaliate after feeling hurt. Um, If we can notice that, the first thing that we do is we remind ourselves we are not bad people for feeling those things, Mm -hmm. for feeling tempted to do those things. It is entirely normal to feel, te- to feel tempted to do those things. It's so important that we recognize that that's what makes us human. What does matter, the measure of our character and our integrity, is that when we are tempted or, uh, to do those things, to judge or to assume or to retaliate, that we make choices in line with our values. 
That's the measure of us, not whether or not we felt tempted to do it. And, and then so we have to take seriously, like what do we do with that? I think this is lifelong work. I think that this is like, this is not, um, this is confronting insecurities. Like when I think about me being in a room with a bunch of other parents that are all have different parenting styles and the pressure and the insecurity that rises up in me and that I know for a fact is rising up in the other people too, how do we do that? I mean, it, it, it is lifelong work to feel like you are solid enough and healthy enough in your own body and uh, able to have a conversation that embraces mess and doesn't run away from it. Um, but we can get better at it. And, yeah. and uh, I think about what we, the, 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 the wording that we were working all of our, our Lent experience here as a church of we live ourselves into new ways of thinking. We, uh, we, we, the only way for us to get mm-hmm. to a better, uh, a better place uh, in terms of how we feel like able to combat our insecurities and have those hard conversations and not run away from us. The only way we get there is by practicing, by, yeah. by trying and, and seeing how those, those, those choices to live a different way can slowly rewire the way that we think. Yeah, something that my therapist had said in a session a while back that's really stayed with me um, is this idea that sometimes you think thoughts and sometimes thoughts think you. Mm. <laughs> like you don't have mm. control over what you're mm-hmm. thinking and what pops up in your brain might be really judgmental or passive aggressive or shaming or whatever it may be. But what matters most is the actions and the choices that you make from there. Yes. How yes. you're going to engage with those thoughts and whether it's going to be something that leans into the messiness of community and embraces this really humble stance of, I don't have a lot of control right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or if you're going to try and fall back on ways that remove mess. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going to go Harry Potter for a second of like <laughs> a Dumbledore talking to Harry. It is our choices, Harry, that define us. Yeah. Not when you're you know, struggling with like, oh, these things I'm thinking or these things that are going through my brain. Does that make me a bad person? It is our choices, Harry, that define us. Therapy and Harry Potter. Therapy <laughs> and Harry Potter. It's great stuff. Uh, well, so I wonder what you think about um, these ideas of resilience and uh, joy and gratitude and growth and opportunity for humility that feels squeezed out when it comes to modern American life, squeezed out of our, of our experiences of community. I wonder if any of those feel like they are squeezed out of your experience mm-hmm. of community because of the water that we swim in in American life. Um, I wanna pray for us along those lines. <clears throat> Get yourself in a comfortable space <clears throat> and if you'd like to close your eyes to help you focus as we pray, That'd be great. Or if you'd like, you know, find a, a spot on the wall that helps you just kind of block out distractions, that works too. Uh, but try to get yourself in as, as least uh, distracted a place as possible, and I'll pray. God, we long, each of us, to belong to um, people, belong to others that give us the, the sense of connection we want in life, um, the sense of support that we want in life, that give us a sense of purpose that we want in life. We long to have those things in place. But there are so many obstacles to us experiencing that. And so many of those obstacles are outside of our control. But the way things work out in America is we kind of think it's our fault. 
all of those like bigger than us forces that make it hard to experience gratitude, that make it hard to experience resilience and make it hard to experience humility in our communities, all of those things kind of get like offloaded on us of like, if you're having a hard time with that, it's your fault. And that is too much for any of us to carry. So for any of us this morning who like feel identified with that of like, I just feel like all, all I'm being told is it's my fault that, I, that I'm lonely or all I'm being told is that it's my fault that I don't have the community experience I want. We just, we lift those hurts up to you, God, the God who is a fellow sufferer with us, who, who lives and breathes and moves through all of us in this culture and feels the same pain points and frustrations and anger and exhaustion. You are in this with us, and you are just as upset. So help us to not feel alone in those pain points that we're presenting to you. Help us to feel that there is healing for us in those hurts. And for those of us who, who are, are just so moved and stirred by what we're talking about and these things that might be missing because we like long to share what we have. We have a little bit of like, hey, I guess I have more resilience than I thought in my experience of community. Or hey, I have some, I, I do have humility or I do have, I do have uh, the joy and the gratitude in my experience of community. I want to share that. What does that look like, God? What does that look like for us to participate in something that's countercultural or something that is maybe just like what we all need and it's just not going to happen by default because we have, to, we have to make intentional choices to make it so. How do we get to participate in that, God? What, what are, in what ways do we uh, pick up the model that you showed us in the way that you handled the conflict between James and John and the other disciples? In what ways are you encouraging us to be people that just like that, that joy and gratitude follow rather than fear and outrage follow. If there's a way that we can be a part of that, encourage us. Speak to us as we're quiet here or like as the day goes on today when our minds are most at rest that something would just inspire us and a spark in our mind and we would, we would, like, we would chalk that up to you, God. And be like, oh, wow, okay, I can do that. That feels exciting. And that we would follow those excitements. We would follow what is luring us toward more good, toward more community. And we would, we would, we would ascribe that to you, God. When we feel that, that is you guiding us into more. And so we just open our attention to that and ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.